Welcome to The Bridgehead with Jonathan Van Maren, bringing you cutting-edge news, commentary, and interviews from the front lines of the culture wars. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Bridgehead on AM 1380 at 3 o'clock p.m. My name is Jonathan Van Maren, and I'll be your host for the next half hour. Now, what we're going to be doing over the next four weeks is quite a bit different than what we have usually done. As everyone knows, uh, the Bridgehead really focuses on culture, but we've, we've generally focused on the negative side of culture. Now, we've tried to highlight inspiring stories and, and, and particularly noteworthy organizations like Operation Underground Railroad, like the efforts of, of Steve Maman to, to rescue Christians from ISIS in the Middle East. But for the most part, we haven't taken a too close of a look at, at the positive side of culture, you know, noteworthy literature, music, and art. And I figured, you know, over the next four weeks, uh, you know, around the Christmas holidays, nobody feels like listening to an interview about the rise of sex trafficking in Toronto, for example. But people would probably rather hear a, you know, a series of interviews on literature and on, on, on great books to read and really talented authors. So what I did was I phoned a number of prominent Canadian authors and put together a series on children's literature because I thought that this would be a kind of a fun thing to discuss over the Christmas holidays. You know, people are, are, are buying a lot of Christmas presents. People are looking around for books to read. So why not? So I'm interviewing four people over the next four weeks. The first one is uh, Jean Little. Now, many of you will recognize her name because some of her books have even been assigned reading in Canadian schools. She was born in, in Taiwan to missionary parents in 1932, and she's written dozens of best-selling children's books as well as a couple of autobiographies. She's actually uh, received worldwide recognition. Uh, for a lot of her books, and she was awarded the Canada, uh, the Canada Council Children's Literature Award. And her most immediately recognizable book is her novel From Anna, which was published, I believe, in 1972. And she's the uh, the author that we'll be speaking with today. She actually lives in Guelph, Ontario. And the other three authors uh, we'll be talking to, some of them will probably be very familiar to you. Uh, Kit Pearson we'll be talking to next week. She lives on uh, Vancouver Island, and she's the author of, of a lot of brilliant books, such as A Handful of Time, Awake and Dreaming, The Sky is Falling. Uh, all of these were books uh, I read growing up. And I, I, she has a real way of, of writing books from a perspective that very few other people have, have managed to do well. Uh, and then uh, on December 31st, we'll be interviewing Gordon Corman, who's a hilarious writer. He's uh, from the Toronto area originally and then moved to the United States, but he wrote his first book at age 12. Uh, this can't be happening at McDonald Hall. And then continue writing a series of, of really humorous uh, children's novels as well as young adult novels. And uh, eventually ended up writing uh, adventure books like the Everest series and the Dive series and the Island series, all of which are very, very well done. He, he's definitely proved He's an adept writer, and he can adapt his style. And the final interview in the first week of January 
will be with Lynn Johnston, who's probably uh, immediately recognizable to most of you because she's the cartoonist behind the decades-long series For Better or For Worse, which follows a Canadian family, the Pattersons, uh, through uh, the different stages of their life. And she was uh, very groundbreaking in terms uh, of her comic strip because she was the first one to uh, age her characters in real time. So I picked Canadian authors, uh, not because I had to, but simply because I grew up reading these four authors. Uh, all of them, I think, have a lot of, uh, of magnificent material, and a lot of them have material that's deserving of our attention. And um, I quite frankly think that with the the rise of, of series, wildly popular vampire series and Twilight and all such things, uh, that it's it's great to focus on children's literature that I think has true literary value and and the, that the content is has things in it that I think uh, are are really worth uh, worth reading. So uh, I'd first like to introduce uh, my interview with Jean Little, and I and I hope you enjoyed these discussions as much as I did. So a lot of your books, uh, Mind for Keeps and From Anna, uh, have been based on your personal experiences, both as someone with limited eyesight as well as working with disabled children. How much did your life inform your writing? Because some people say that most of their writing has autobiographical snippets in it, and some people say, I just made up a good story. How did your life impact your work? Uh, I think you can't help but your life gets in whether you mean it to or not. Certainly mine has. But I haven't, uh, uh, with, a, with occasionally different. I mean, some books are more, are more in, like from Anna certainly is very, very close to my life when I was, first came back to Canada from mm-hmm. Taiwan. It's very autobiographical in a way, in lots of ways it isn't. But, uh, but many, many are, they some are, are tied up. Like for instance, I've written a couple, more than a couple about guide dogs because I have guide dogs. Mm-hmm. But the people, the people are not. As I mean, the main character, the dogs are based on dogs. <laughs> yeah, so that's they're based on autobiographical as far as the dogs are concerned, right. but not as far as I'm concerned. So I, I just you know what, long years ago, uh, Rosemary Sutcliffe, who's a British very well-known author, said to me, you write the book that comes to you asking you to write it. And that's sort of been, uh, I've just, all of a sudden the book has kind of arrived in my head. With the, the Usually the character has arrived in my head and then from there on. But it hasn't, I'm not the kind that, uh, you know, looks for the trends or the, or what, on the curriculum or anything like that. It's just uh-huh. whatever. So I, I don't, if I was to, if you said to me you wanted me to tell you about where the, I mean, for every book, I've had 53 or something like 53 published, and I suppose almost all of them have something in them that ties into my life, but not not that I've sat down to do it on purpose. I have written a couple of autobiographical books uh-huh. that were, you know, that were, that are about my own life, that say so. But uh, and then one that is about my mother's life, from family stories mm. and things. So those are those three, little by little, stars come out within, and then uh, the one about mother, his banner over me. And I have written, I have it hasn't been published yet, but I have written a third autobiographical one. 
Well, that, there's a few things there that I, I want to follow up on. I had actually wondered when I was reading through your, your biography some time ago when you talked about uh, coming back from Taiwan as a little girl because your parents, of course, were missionaries in the, for the United mm-hmm. Church over there. And then, of course, that automatically makes somebody who's read your work think about From Anna, where a girl, a young girl, comes to a, a new country, feels alienated, and, of course, struggles with a lot of the same things uh, that you did. So how much was From Anna based on your experience coming back from Taiwan at a very young age? It was based on, but I didn't want... I wrote the first story of it when I was just uh, before... I can't remember exactly, before I was 20, when I was a teenager. It was just a short story. And I didn't want have to write about uh, missionaries. I wanted to write about this little girl making a basket. I didn't want to have to put in all the stuff about Taiwan and all that stuff, but that wasn't the story. So I I tried and thought of what, at that time, when I was, I had, we'd had uh, a lot of new Canadians in our life coming from Europe and other places, so I took a name from then. But, and so that part, the part about the background of the heroine was not mine, but the part of her coming to Canada and all that was uh-huh. very autobiographical. And the basket I wove in that book is on display in the Leon H. Smith Library. Okay. You said earlier that you don't write based on, on what the curriculum is advising, and I find that interesting because a lot of people have commented on how there's been a very distinct shift in children's literature over the last uh, decade or more. One of the things we, that we see uh, more and more are these almost franchise series uh, and dystopian novels like you know, The Hunger Games and, and then the, yeah, the, the Divergent yeah. series. Yeah, and. Do you see a major shift in children's literature? Because this seems a lot different than books, you know, like Ella Montgomery, Louisa May Alcott, you know, books by yourself. Well, they, you know, they wrote series, both of those particular. Mm-hmm. It's just interesting you mentioned those, because I just finished reading um, Little Women, Little Men, uh, Joe's Boy. I read the whole, there were four mm-hmm. of them in the of uh, Louisa May yeah. Alcott. And, of course, uh, uh, Ella Montgomery, her the Anne books are, and, and the Emily books, she wrote series, but uh, there's been a big space in between. I think perhaps, I don't know if they would admit it, those people who've been writing, but I think Harry Potter did a lot to spark them off. And uh, and anybody, I, I wish I did, because I, I think probably they're, they're very good at, at uh, uh, earning you money. If you're mm-hmm. very good at writing a series, but I've never, I have written linked books, but not a series. Not I mean, I've written more than one about the same characters, like mm-hmm. a sequel, but not a series. I don't know. I, I do think that it's sort of fashions come and go. And right now, one of the fashions is to write series. That's what a lot of people are doing. I've noticed that, too. A lot of them, you know, there's... Not just the Hunger Games and Harry Potter, but there's all kinds of others. And every time you turn around, there's a new one. And some of them are really good, and some of them are just a waste of space. Yeah, and the reason I say franchise and not series is is because they seem to be almost oriented towards uh, a movie franchise, which most of them have been turned into at this point. Most of them have been turned into series. Yeah, I never thought of that. but, But, of course, that's true, and if you get... If you get it started in a movie thing and you go on, 
you know what, though? People think that that makes you a lot of money, and it really, in some ways, having your book made into movies, I think, detracts somewhat of, because, of course, people then watch. How often do you hear people say, talking about a book, and then you find out they haven't read the book, they've seen the movie? Almost always. They, you know, that happens all the time. I, I mean, I talk to people about books, and when I get into it, and then I say, well, I really like this scene, and it turns out they have no idea what I'm talking about because that wasn't in the movie. It's really funny. So uh, you've been Harry writing... Potter. There's a lot of people think they've read Harry Potter, and they have seen the movie, or I think they've read The Lord of the Rings, and they've seen the movies. Mm-hmm. And it's, it gives them, you know, but there's a lot left out. We, we every Christmas, we've had par- parties for many years where we read Dickens' Christmas Carol aloud, and over and over... Somebody would say, oh, I don't remember that, and it would be the part that wasn't in the movie. It was funny. Well, and you've, you've talked a lot about children's literature. You've taught children's literature at, at a university. What sort of shift have you seen in children's literature? Because you've been writing children's literature long enough to sort of see um, how the shifts have gone, and especially as this generation has a, has a much shorter attention span. Literature almost has to, unless they're forced to read it in school, almost has to compete with things like TV shows and movies and action heroes and things like that. What sort of a shift have you seen? Well, you say that. That's interesting. You say that about a short intention span. Have you looked at the size of the Harry Potter books lately? That, that's what made them so distinct, though, was that they I managed mean, to keep people read, engaged. And there's hundreds of pages, and they're read. I mean, kids read those books, mm-hmm. so they do. And I get letters from children. I, do, I know what you mean. There are kids. I mean, I live with my great-nephew who lives with us, and he's 20, 19 now. He says he hates books. I think it's terrible. He hates books. He just likes computers. He doesn't like books. But uh, but I do get lots of letters from children that love books. So it's mm-hmm. not just... But there are fashions that come, and there certainly are things that are that were not... That when Ella uh, uh, Montgomery wrote... Uh, were not uh, put in children's books, but that now are. Uh, just the fact that they reflect society. When I wrote my first book, I never even thought about them. My mother was a doctor with a very busy practice, but the mother in my very first novel stayed home and did the cooking. Uh-huh. And I ne- never even crossed my mind that why wasn't I, why didn't I have her uh, give her a job like my mother, but it never crossed my mind. And now, I mean, there's so many children's books where both parents are employed, and the world changes, and the children's books change in reflection. So there more. There's a lot. There's a lot of realism. There's also a lot of fashions, like vampires, or uh-huh. something comes along, and then people pick it up, and and but they go out of fashion too. So. In some ways, it's good to write like mine because my books are pretty realistic and I don't follow trends much because I never even think about it. I just mm-hmm. write. And so uh, at least they don't go out of style because they're, ne- they're never the, really in the, the, the latest fashion. So right. they don't go out. Yeah. Yeah, but I, yeah, I do see it change. As the world, but as I, as I say, I think it does reflect the world that we're living mm-hmm. in is reflected. Although, you know, the books from uh, the kids read up till the time they enter puberty, the, the kids read below the age of 12-ish, kind of. Those are the same. They don't want changes in books much. 
you're nine or ten, you really want to read a straight story, a good story, but you don't need it to be in style. But then as soon as you get into your teens, that changes. I I noticed that. Yeah, because it's interesting you bring up Harry Potter, because one of the reasons they were such a phenomenon and so many people wrote about those books was because they couldn't figure out what sort of formula J.K. Rowling had discovered that got kids to read (laughs) so many pages. I think she just plain loved it. She was into it, and she... I went to hear her speak when she was here at the Dome, right? And uh, she was such a down-to-earth young woman. She was, of course, younger then. And uh, I thought, well, I I could have this this person over to supper. We'd be perfectly comfortable. And uh, she obviously was just, you know, really involved. She just went and lived in it. It was her her world that she lived in, in in her mind. She had a grand time at writing, I think. But uh, I liked her a lot. I, w- I wish I could. You know how sometimes you meet people in passing and you think, my, I wish they'd live next door. Uh-huh. That's the way I felt about her. She was just a uh, very charming, down-to-earth kind of woman. Well, what kind of children's books did, did you read? You just mentioned that you, you read, and I assume reread the Louisa May Alcott books. What other yeah, kinds of books did, did you read? I just did it on, on uh, big, I have a Victor Stream, a little, like a Kindle. And I got all, and then read right through them. Uh, when I was a kid, I just read everything. I read, I read through the children's library. I love the Secret Garden, and I was sure that somewhere in the <laughs> library there had to be another book that good. So I literally went around. I read uh, along the shelves, keeping track of which ones I had already read, looking for this book. And I never did find one quite as good, but I found some good ones. But I liked, I liked everything. I didn't read uh, nonfiction as a kid, hardly at all. And I didn't read, well, mostly nonfiction. I read everything else, everything. didn't matter, anything that came up. Fantasy, realistic things, I loved. It didn't matter. Have you read any of the current Canadian authors that uh, that write the same sort of fiction as you do? Like, oh yeah, Kip yeah, Pearson I've read or... all. Uh, I can't read print now, but uh, the, when I can read them, if they're in talking book, and a lot of them are, like Sarah Ellis and Kit Pearson and all. Yeah, I read them all, mm-hmm. and I think some of them are wonderful, wonderful writers. And when I was a kid, there were no children's writers except Ella Montgomery. Right. Wrote about Canada. I thought, and and to me, Prince Edward Island was like a a fantasy place. It didn't sound at all like Canada, because where you know I lived in uh, Toronto and Guelph, uh-huh. and they just didn't sound the way she made Prince Edward Island. So, uh, but now there are lots and lots of books for Canada that kids can, you know, read about Canada all they want now. I was going to ask that because obviously uh, Canada has always been very focused on promoting specifically Canadian culture, Canadian books, you know, Canadian musicians. Uh, so this has been something that's been, been very focused on, and we have a public broadcaster who is dedicated to promoting Canadian content. But, you know, some writers will say, well, I wasn't writing specifically for Canada or specifically for the U.S. I just wrote a good story. Do you feel yeah. that you have a specific Canadian perspective that you're you're actually trying to, or it just happens that way because you, you happen to live here? Well, I happen to live here, and I have placed the book. I remember with my very first book, Mine for Keep, I had the girl going to CGID, 
uh, without even thinking, and they wanted me to change it to Campfire Girls. And then, and there were several, because uh, I had an American editor. And uh, I didn't even realize when I was writing, uh, I didn't realize that, the, I never thought about these things being Canadian. They were just my background. And so I thought that that was just, I took it for granted. And I had, I did not change, I mean, she said to change that. And I said, I can't, there's no campfire girls in Canada. And the book is set in Canada. Mm-hmm. We had quite a, uh, it was quite a argument over that. And I, uh, but I just wrote because I, because the books were set in Canada, because that was where I was at home, right? I just wrote about where I was at home. I didn't even think about that. But I did know that there was nothing that I had never been able to read books about Canada when I was a child. I remember being very thrilled with one Ellen Montgomery book where the kid lived in Toronto part of the year. There's only one. All the others are set in Prince Edward Island. But this one, Jane of Lantern Hill, Jane lives in Toronto. And I love that one especially because of that very reason. It was more like my own life. Many writers uh, have said that writing good children's literature is actually even harder than writing good adult literature because you have to sort of uh, retain the ability to see the world through through children's eyes and understand what they're feeling in situations, and that you know what seems to be a small situation to an adult can be enormous for a child. How have you managed to write uh, children's literature that's that's sort of captured the uh, the feelings of children? And, and they say this all the time. It's one of the reasons that your books have won won so many awards. It's you know you and Beverly Cleary and just a, really a handful of authors. Uh, children's authors who have truly managed to capture the way children interact and feel about things. And I think perhaps we're people who really remember our childhood. I mean, not not the events so much, but mm-hmm. how it felt. I certainly do. I remember very clearly uh, what I and and because partly because I was an outsider because I was cross-eyed and I had all these things uh, kind of against me and didn't see well and I was just kind of. And because of that, I observed. You think, oh, yeah, but I, I was always listening and, re, and uh, without even thinking about it, I would think. And so when I when I began to write, I still had it all there, and I remember exactly how I felt as a child. And I so I have no trouble when. And as soon as I get my get, as soon as the characters start moving around in the book, they're just they just take over and. I don't. I don't write for. I don't. I never think now. My readers won't like this, or uh-huh. I must make this easier so they'll understand. Or I just really write. And I. But I'm not somebody who says I don't write for children. I'm very pleased to write for children. They're a wonderful audience. I mean, they're very faithful. They are. I don't know if you realize, but you know how there's public lending that you get for your books being in libraries, uh-huh. and you get a certain amount. Children's books do better than anybody else's in that because they don't. The kids don't care if books are in the bestseller list or they stay in print because kids keep asking and coming to get them. And they're the books their mother read and their sister read. And so my my book, Mine for Keeps, I I still get royalties for it. It's been in print now since 1962, and uh, I got royalties for it just yesterday. And there there was, I thought, that's pretty good. Because there are, books, there are a, a lot of books that go out of print, especially books for ad, written 
by adults for adults. They don't stay in print all that long. No, I, well, children look, read and reread and, and reread. Yeah, children read. Yeah, they reread. They don't. They and they they go back because they feel happy reading that. You know, I remember clearly when I would go, I would go back and read and read and read the and the books I loved, looking for the parts, the special parts that I really liked, and and so on. Just lived in the books. My friends were the children in books, and there are a lot of kids like that. I uh-huh. think sort of outsiders. Their whole world is the book world. So how- and you know what you're saying about the uh, the live, the CBC. Uh-huh. I was fascinated the other day. Uh, a book was mentioned, uh, and the somebody wrote into Sheila Rogers saying that they something was some book was mentioned in an interview. I think it was with David Suzuki, and the woman went to the library to get it, and there were 49 requests they had, 49 people on. She went, you know, the same afternoon. Uh-huh. She heard the broadcast, went to the library, did a couple things at home, went to the library already. 49. So that's how many how. How when the CBC promotes a book, I mean it's a wonderful, it's wonderful. That's a, and they have a children's book panel. I just wish they did more. Uh, it, it was a little longer because it seems to be very short. But yeah. it, it's wonderful what the support they give for children's books. How has being somebody with with limited eyesight? You're legally blind, but you can still you can still see a, a lot of things, and you use a guide dog. Now also. I can't. I can't. Now I can't. I'm sitting here right now, and all I can see at this moment is one light shining over to my left and a and light coming in a, from a window. But I have very, very little vision, and I can no longer read print at all. I haven't for a long time now. Uh-huh. But I still can read talking books, and I do constantly. Uh-huh. And I read old and new ones and How? I download them. How, how has your limited vision sort of affected your writing career? Obviously, when you write something like From Anna, it's it's very, very obvious. But obviously, it, it would affect it in, in different ways. And when you're reading the depth of feeling in a lot of your books, one sometimes gets the sense that you, you make up in sharpness of feeling while you're writing what you don't have in, in sharpness of, of vision and in, in sort of observing the world around you. How do you think it's affected what you, what you write? Well, I think partly that is that somebody asked me once if I'd lived other lives because I could write about gardens and things I'd never seen. And, and I thought it was very funny. And I said, no, it's not that. I, I just read. And I, I read a lot. And so there's all kinds of things that I feel I know exactly what they're like that I've never seen because I've read about them. And I read widely and I read constantly. And so the sighted world is available to me. Now, there are things I have to go and ask once in a while. I'll ask somebody. Can there be navy blue eyes? Because I never, I never see eye color. Uh-huh. And when I could see, I mean, I never did. And uh, so I do ask sometimes, but mostly, I just, I don't know. I just, I, see, I don't feel. There were things I couldn't see, of course, when I, even as a child. But I didn't feel that uh, it was a. I didn't. I just lived in a and in my world, and it felt like a perfectly normal world. And I had a very loving and interesting family around me. So uh-huh. even though school was difficult, and I I still had my sister and I, so on. And we were, yeah, I don't know. I, uh, one final I question. I don't think about it that much. I don't I don't try to avoid thinking about right. 
but I certainly write a lot about bullies. I notice I must stop because I've got them in almost because I was bullied as a kid at school. Mm-hmm. Not the way not the way you hear about now on the on the computer, but just people chasing you and calling names and things. And I've got that in book after book because I I'm trying to sort of I guess I'm trying to help kids who to know that it's not just them. Mm-hmm. Maybe. But yeah, go ahead. Oh, yeah. Okay. So one final question is, you know, a lot of people dream of writing a, a children's book one day, and very few people actually... Yeah, I meet them all the time. Yeah. They're always... Yeah, they come and they talk to me. I was thinking I should write a book, and I say, well, come back and talk to me when you've got the first draft done. Mm-hmm. Because until you've tried to do it, I you have nothing. I can say I can't get... Well, couldn't you give me some tips? I said, no, I couldn't. Mm-hmm. How do I know... How would I know what kind of tips? I have no idea if you have any talent or right. interest or anything. It is uh, people. You'd be amazed how many people think they could do it if they just. It, they're busy at the moment, of course. Uh, they have. They go to the gym and they do this and they do that, so they don't quite have time. Mm-hmm. But as soon as they have time, they're planning to dash off a children's book. I think it's very funny because, of course, it's real work. I like it. It's work I love. Mm-hmm. But but they think it's really easy. Well, people think, think it's easier than writing an adult's book often, even though if you think about it for a few minutes, as I said before, it's a lot harder. No, I don't think it is really. I think it. I don't. I think you write and whatever you're, you know, you have the ability to do one or the other, and that, and that's what you do. And I don't think it. I don't. I don't think it's probably all that much harder. I've heard people say writing. They used to writing a picture book was terribly hard and. I never, I didn't write with any for a long time. And I thought, I'm sick of hearing this. I'm going to try it. I don't think it could. And I've written, I don't know, about six or eight of them now, mm-hmm. maybe. And it wasn't hard. It was it was hard. Like any good writing is hard. Yeah. But it was fun, and it wasn't harder. It, was, it wasn't the way they make it sound. Like every word matters. I think every word matters no matter what you're writing. All right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. It was fun talking to you. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, that was Canadian author Jean Little speaking to me by phone from Guelph, Ontario. I hope you really enjoyed this interview, and I hope you join us again next Thursday afternoon for a discussion with author Kit Pearson. Thanks so much for listening, and have a great weekend.